Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mel Morris to my Darth Vader. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly not bad considering the news over the weekend. But um, yeah, all right. Yeah, three points could do a world of good. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster weekend mm. for you, hasn't it? Has your Sunday been better? Yeah, it has. 185 this morning playing football. That's good. One eight five. Yeah, yeah one eight five. It was four four at half time. Yeah. It's probably like Reading Peterborough defending. Christ, <laughs> uh, we finally got our guests back on the show this week. First up is Rich Ferraro from eighteen sixty five, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Richie boy, how's it going? Hello. Uh, well, obviously, just Justin. Three points can make a world of difference, can't it? Yep, it absolutely can. Also, here is Joel Robinson from the Two Hullenbach podcast. Joel, how are you? I'm good. Are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. What a few days. It's been in the second tier, eh? This weekend, we had a set of results that just showed us why this is the best league in the world. Only one team in the top 11 won, unpredictable as ever. We had great goals, great entertainment, and Henry Lansbury booting Ryan Manning onto the M1. Uh, but needless to say, there were things also happening off the pitch. Derby going into administration. We will discuss that in this show today. So we'll go through all the games in the Championship this weekend, then get on to Derby and a few other bits in the news. Then we'll finish off with a Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Let's kick things off then with another side in the East Midlands. I've had a busy few days off the pitch. That's Nottingham Forest, who played their first game since Chris Hewton was sacked. And they won! Always the way, isn't it? Sack your manager and then the team starts performing. Uh, anyway, they beat Huddersfield 2-0. Rich, what was different for the tricky trees here? The most obvious thing on paper that was different for Forrest was uh, different formation. So they went to three at the back. They played Spence and Max Lowe as wingbacks. Crucially, I think that that gave Forrest a little bit more solidity in the centre of the park, which they haven't had. It's much easier to anchor the midfield when you've got three centre-halves behind you. Um, so that was good. Also, uh, you know, that's the formation. Tactics-wise, Forrest were pushing forward a lot more. And it has to be said that that's not something we've seen. So you look at Forrest's second goal, the thing that was noticeable, apart from the high-vis shirts, so everyone accused Hewton of playing safety first, but those shirts were something else. Apart from the high-vis shirts, the thing you could see were lots and lots of Forest players in the final third of the pitch, which isn't something we've seen for about two years, to be honest. And sure, the goal was an own goal from deflections and, and all of that, but it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been getting men forward. Yeah, so just passing the ball forward helps, doesn't it? Um, it's interesting you mentioned the high-vis shirts there because uh, 
obviously there's been a lot going on at Forest this week, but I feel like this is the most important question of all. Richard on Twitter asks, is the Forest third kit the worst kit of all time? Justin? I like it. I like all the Forest kits this season. I think they've done, I think Macron's done a number. They do, they've done great. I like it. I do. Rich, even though it's high-vis, are you a fan? I don't like it, but I think they should wear it every single week now. <laughs> yeah, it's 100% record in it, of course. Uh, I, I thought Forrest were good value for the win here as well, which is surprising, Justin, considering the form that Huddersfield have been in prior to this game. It was quite a quite an off day for Huddersfield, but I feel like some of the performance that was there when they played Blackpool in midweek, I think it sort of creeped in a little bit. They, they gave Blackpool, Blackpool too many opportunities um, in midweek and um, they didn't have the quality to finish their chances. Forrest did in this situation, for example, the grab and goal. The marker can't allow allow Graben to get across him, to get his head on it first. He's got to go and attack the ball. Um, and then the second goal... Defense was really slow to react, um, and they just they gave themselves too much too much work to do. And yeah, quite the off day for for Huddersfield, who have been really really impressive of late. Mm. Let's talk Hugh to Rich. I think everyone's got a lot of respect for him as a manager, but it was plainly obvious that something needed to change, wasn't it? Well. I'm in my 40s now and I'm trying contact lenses for the first time this week and it's still less painful on the eyes than it was watching a Houghton team over the last few weeks. Um, And that is really horrible to have to say because this is a guy who's proven championship specialist. But uh, as we've discussed on our podcast, the game has moved on and the way to achieve success, not just at Premier League level, but also even at championship level, is you need to be able to push forward and press forward. And Hewton teams haven't done that. And crucially, it's all very well him coming in saying, I need to steady the ship. But he admitted himself midway through last season that he hadn't made the progress that he'd wanted in terms of getting Forrest to be a better team. And there has been no progress, uh, even right now. Now, you could point to all the things behind the scenes, but what's hopeful is that there is going to be more of an ethos in the way that the club is run. And if it is Steve Cooper who's the next manager, you're assuming that that's got a Dane Murphy influence behind it in terms of the new CEO. You look at the the way in which Barnsley have played and you look at the appointments that Murphy made, the two appointments he made at Barnsley, and you kind of think, is there something to learn from that? Now, Forrest is chaos. It's always chaos. And and thanks to Derby for stealing the limelight away by being even worse than us in many ways. But um, but yeah, it's it just it just hasn't worked, and unfortunately, that's probably a sign that that Hewton's style of play just isn't compatible with with modern Championship football. Well, you mentioned Steve Cooper; he does look like he'll be the man who's going to be replacing Hewton. Does that get you excited? Yes and no. Uh, so the yes is very much that Cooper is. He's got a reputation as a good coach. He's also worked with some of the Forest players, and in particular Alex Martin and Brennan Johnson at England youth level. Uh, he's did a good job of getting Swansea playing above their level, if you look, if you think about it. Um, now I know there are grumbles about the style of play, which is the main gripe that Forest supporters have, is that well, Cooper's Swansea, they weren't exactly scintillating attacking wise. If it hadn't been for uh, Andre Ayew and maybe Conor Hurahan and, and to a certain extent Matt Grimes, Conor Roberts, then they didn't really have enough going forward. And you look at Forrest's, the fact that we've only got Graben and Taylor as centre-forwards and you kind of think, mm, are we going to be in trouble there? On the other hand, 
let's go back to what I just said. He got a Swansea team being very competitive for two seasons. And and, and as I say, Forrest have gone for a, a younger profile with their transfer window dealings. So I suspect that, assuming it's not another false dawn, I suspect that that's part of a strategy brought in by the club. Prior to this weekend, Hull had gone over nine hours without scoring. That came to an end this weekend against Sheffield United, but they still lost 3-1. And despite a brilliant result on the opening day, have only picked up two points in seven games and find themselves second bottom. Joel, we'll talk about Saturday first. As soon as Billy Sharp got the first goal, I thought this was only going one way. Were you the same? Yeah, um, I expected Sheffield United to take the game to us. Um, we struggled a lot recently. Um, and the way, they were worthy of the win in the end. Um, but they got a little bit lucky um, with a couple of decisions from the linesman. Um, one with Billy Sharp getting a penalty when being offside. Um, and then we had a goal disallowed as well, which was onside. Um which would have made it 3-2 uh, with about 15 minutes to go. So we would have had a chance to maybe take a point from the game. But um, Sheffield United were worthy of the win. Uh, can't complain. And we just had to look, look forward to Stoke now and hope we can hopefully get another win there. Yeah, John Egan scored two for Sheffield United. Joel, why is Malik Wilkes marking John Egan at set pieces? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter who, um, who Wilkes marks. He, he can't defend. In terms of what a winger should be able to do, he, like a little bit of defending, he cannot defend. So it doesn't matter if it was John Egan he's, he's or... He's five foot nine. He's five foot nine. Why is he marking the opposition centre-half? I, I don't know. Um, it would have made sense for him to mark someone that wasn't expecting to head of the ball, like Norrington Davies or um, Baldock. But yeah, I'm a bit confused as to why as to why he was told to mark Egan, but it was it was obvious he was going to score as soon as we saw him marking Egan, to be fair. Yeah, it, it was a disastrous marking for both goals, wasn't it? And it, the only thing I can compare it to from bizarre corner decisions is Harry Kane taking corners for England because having your five foot nine winger marking the opposition centre half for multiple set pieces just doesn't make any sense to me at all yeah. uh, but there were some good individual performances here weren't they Justin none more so than Morgan Gibbs White who provided a wonderful assist for the first goal and was pulling all the strings wasn't he it's amazing how much one player can make a difference to a starting 11 because without Morgan gives white Sheffield United don't look anywhere near a threat. I mean, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? The first first five games of the season to the last to the last three games, Gibbs White has made a huge difference. Um, it just is 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 overall availability in the game. He wants the ball all the time. He's finding space. His movement for the for the assist for Billy Sharp was was terrific. And when you've got a play like him in your side, um, who always wants the ball, your strikers are going to get a constant ammunition. And um, yeah, he's such a good player and he makes such a difference to the Sheffield United team. And obviously they scored two from set pieces, but you know they, they wouldn't have got um, got into the game as, as early as they did if it wasn't for his, for his uh, trickery and um, flair, shall we say. Yeah, he's looking a real player. He's probably impressed me more in three games than many other players in the championship this season. He's just looking like a really, really top player, isn't he? And just finally, Joel, we were talking about the lack of goals at the start of this segment. Why hasn't it been working in front of goal for the Tigers this season? I think we're, we're trying to use the same approach as we did in League One. 
um, with getting the ball towards our target man and then having our wingers come off of them. And it doesn't work with the centre-halves that are in the Championship. Um, McGuinness has been getting bullied all season by the likes of Jagielka, Davies from, uh, from Derby, Egan and um, Davies as well yesterday from, from Sheffield United. They just couldn't seem to find any space. He, he can't hold the ball up with centre-halves that good on his back. So I think for him, he's, he's a League One striker. Um, so when Tyler Smith came on, and we're running in behind. We look more likely to score. So going forward, I think Grant needs to start playing Tyler Smith from the start because that's the only time we seem to look like we're going to score. And we did score within three minutes of him coming onto the pitch and then we scored a second, which was disallowed. So it just shows just the different approach up front. We'll be able to start scoring goals. Yeah, and I tell you what, the, the one that was disallowed as well, questionable I thought he was onside personally uh, anyway Rich and Joel thank you for now we'll come back to you both a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight Justin and I are now going to take you on a whistle stop tour around the grounds let's begin at Craven Cottage where there was the shock of the season so far Reading beating Fulham 2-1 thanks to two wonderful goals from Ovi Ajaria Paul Mann is from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals and Paul did you have any idea that this was going to happen Definitely not, um, uh, Ryan. I was really absolutely shocked by the fact that we managed to pick up three points yesterday. Uh, a stunning result. I don't think any Redden fans would have expected that because of all of the injuries, the form we've been in. I mean, just we've been awful away from home as well. So incredible, absolutely incredible. And especially from one man, which I'm uh, sure you're going to go on to talk about, uh, Ovi Ajaria. Oh, we will. We will. But before that, I just wanted to ask you about one of the common themes that we've had with Reading so far this season, and that's how shocking they've been defensively. And to be fair, in the game on Saturday, Fulham could have very easily uh, got something from it, couldn't they? Because they missed some glorious chances. But how frustrating has it been as a fan to watch and how they've been playing defensively? You're, you're totally right there. Um, we've been defensively shambolic. Um, I think we were the worst defensive team in the whole of the league. And bizarrely, Josh Lauren ended up playing centre-back yesterday and he's looked like one of the best defenders we've had all season, which maybe is a little bit of a reflection on the centre-halves this season that we've got that naturally should play in that position. But yeah, it is a huge worry and you're totally right as well. Fulham definitely had chances. On another day, we could have lost that game. But that's the beauty of football, isn't it? We kind of come away with a, not quite a smash and grab, but you take it, don't you, in our scenario? And it could give us momentum, but defensively, still big issues there, I think. And over Ajaria, let's talk about him. That man, the source on both of those goals, Paul, he was absolutely sensational yesterday, wasn't he? It's over Ajaria's world, and we're just living in it, Ryan. That is what the captain said, Liam Moore, a few years ago. And he's totally right. When he is on form and he is up for the game, he is a wonderful technical player. And incredible finish for the first one, right into the top bins. And the second one, the takedown and the skill, if you manage to see the replay of just how he managed to get it into the position to make the finish look so easy. Just from the first second, he looked like he was going to up for the game and just, he just likes playing Fulham. I don't know what it is. If we could just imagine he was playing there every single week, he'd be incredible. But yeah, he's had a tough time with COVID and everything. But yeah, wonderful player. Fantastic performance. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Justin, 
Oviagaria providing a lot of sauce for those two goals. They were absolutely beautiful, weren't they? They were, and I, I'd argue that the second one was better than the first one because the first one you can repeat quite often no, in the training ground. I'd agree. Yeah, and I was, I was, I was opening for a debate there, but we'll, we'll go with it. But yeah, the second one, the touch, the turn, the finish, it was all beautiful, all while players around him. I think he's one of the only players in the division that has got the audacity and confidence to do that. I don't think there are many that will that will attempt that. It's just doing it more often, which has always been the frustration with Ovi Ajaria, but he was so, so good. No, you're spot on. That's the thing that everyone always says about Ovi Ajaria. He's a fantastic player, brilliant playmaker, constantly creates chances, but he's scoring goals. Because I think his best tally for a single season is three, mm. which is startlingly low. But if he scores more goals and takes a leaf out of John Swift's book, then... You know, he, he's a Premier League player, isn't he? It's the, mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's letting him down, not scoring enough goals. But he's more than capable of it, as we saw here with two extremely saucy goals. But a cracking result for the ding, Justin. It is, and it was, I mean, they, they rode the look at times, but sometimes you need luck, especially when you've not been performing particularly well. But um, they, rose, they rose to the occasion. They, they needed to get a result. They needed to grind it out. They needed to ride the look sometimes, and they did that. And everything seemed to work quite well they showed a lot of a lot of character in this game to to see the game out obviously Fulham scoring in the last five minutes and with the attacking talent they have you might you might be remiss to think oh they might get back into this but they they, they stood firm and, and they saw the game out so it's a it's a massive result for, for Reading it's just they can't throw that all the way going into the game next week they have to they have to build on it yeah, well, they've got two wins in two now, which is a massive improvement on how they were looking not too long ago. <laughs> to be fair, Fulham should have won this. They hit the bar twice and missed some yeah. glorious chances. So they're still creating chances. It was just a bad day at the office in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, it's been an interesting weekend for Derby fans with administration lingering in the air at Pride Park. And we will talk about that, Justin. But for now, let's just talk about their game on Saturday because despite what was going on upstairs... It's only seemed to inspire the players more as they beat Stoke 2-1. Joining us now from the second tier podcast is Derby fan Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Hello. It was a weird atmosphere, wasn't it, at Prime hmm. Park? Um, but, and I know this sounds cringy and patronising, but you must have come away from this game thinking, I'm really proud of the players who have been on that pitch. Absolutely. It's been a long time since, um, since I've, I've felt that way. Uh, emotionally, and I imagine a lot of Derby fans would have would have would say the same. I've I've heard I heard people were were in tears before the game as the um, the We Are Derby poem was was read out, and um, yeah, as you say, the atmosphere was quite weird. But coming away from the game, you, I felt nothing but pride to be a Derby County fan because the fan base. I know I know sometimes they can they can push a look on Twitter, especially with the EFL and strings stuff, but they love the club. Um, yeah, we're all we're all Derby, um, and you know you just we just want some positivity, and we had that yesterday. No one could take that from us. Um, it's going to be a rocky, rocky road going ahead. But the game yesterday, we forgot about everything. We forgot about everything that was happening. Yeah, it looks like this is the closest the fans have felt to a group of players in quite some time because yeah. the players are kind of in a similar situation. Then they're probably thinking exactly the same as the fans that because they've been buggered over here as well haven't they Mm -hmm. by the fact that it's out of their hands and now their futures are up in the air as well so yeah everyone's on the same wavelength aren't they and everyone is very wary of 
who is at fault for what is going on, which we will get on to, Justin. Uh, but yeah, it was a really good performance from Derby. What a goal by Max Bird on his birthday of all days as well. So that was a very nice 21st birthday present for him. Uh, don't know what Joe Bursic was doing for the second goal. It was a mm-hmm. bit of a weird one. But both teams had the fair chances in this game, uh, including Ravel Morrison with the miss of the season. Um. Yes, I think so. I, I was speaking to my dad about it. I, I was saying that if he had played 250, 300 games in his career, I think he puts that away. But I think because he's not had that sort of career, he's, he's probably a, bit, a little bit rash. But I mean, I, I'm just trying to make excuses for what was a, a, a terrible, terrible miss. But, you know, that that, that had killed the game off as well. Because obviously things got a bit hairy for Derby towards the end because Stoke started to, to really, really ramp up the pressure. But yeah, that was, a, that was a bad miss. And even worse defending, I think maybe that was... That was league defending from Stoke yeah I I don't think Stoke were bad here at all I I think they were just unlucky and came up against the Derby side who were clearly inspired by Mm -hmm. off the pitch events Tom Ince was playing at right wing back which was interesting did get on the score sheet to be fair to him though which but Mm -hmm. when you think of wingers who would not be good wing backs Tom Ince is probably right at the top there but he played well as well so yeah I I thought you did all right to be fair to him anyway uh well with Fulham and West Brom dropping points we've got a new leader at the top of the table and it's Bournemouth they beat Cardiff 1-0 Kirk Tovey is from the Bournemouth YouTube channel Cherry's Red Army and another good win for the Cherry's Kirk Every win in the championship is big, but that was a huge three points and a huge win for us. It would have been so easy for Scott Parker to pick a team to try and nullify Cardiff's aerial threat and physical power, but he didn't. He kept the nucleus of the squad that had played in previous matches, but one player did come in, and that's Ben Pearson. What Ben Pearson gives us is physicality. He gives us an option in turning over the football and getting us back in attack. We've also got players like Gary Cahill that have come in recently and they've shown an experienced head, especially with a young goalkeeper behind that back four. We would score the only goal in this game and it would come through a man who was impressive last season, Phil Billing. Every time he scored, we didn't lose a football match and that continues this season as well. He got the one and only goal. He scored our first goal outside the 18-yard box. The fans were jubilant in the away end. And surely this sends a message out to the league that we might be serious players this season. Early on in the season, I was a bit concerned about Bournemouth because I didn't think they were playing too well. But in the last four or five games, they've looked a different beast, haven't they? So from a fan's perspective, I imagine you must be very pleased about that. Before the international break, it was a very uneventful 0-0 draw at Hull City. But since the transfer windows closed and we've returned to club football, it's been an impressive eight days for AFC Bournemouth. Three wins out of three, nine points out of nine, but more importantly, variety in those wins. At home against Barnsley, we comfortably won the game, controlling from start to finish and not even conceding a shot on target. QPR in midweek, we took a two-goal lead. Yes, we let QPR back in the game, but we dug in deep to get the three points. And then we went to Cardiff and we showed our physical power, And we showed that we can also win 1-0. And if you're going to do well in the championship, you've got to find a way of winning matches differently week in, week out. And we didn't have this last season and we probably wouldn't have got the three points at Cardiff with the team that we had last season. But this team is different. This team is special. It has heart. It has grit. And yes, there's a long way to go. It's only eight games in, 
but everything at the moment looks positive. And Kirk, now that you've had a few games under him, what are Bournemouth fans thinking with Scott Parker? Because he kind of split opinion at Fulham. So what do the Cherries fans think of him now? We ran a poll on Cherries Red Army at the start of the season when Scott Parker was appointed and it was in favour 60-40. Scott Parker probably knew he would have to play his part in convincing the fan base. But it did look from Cherries Red Army's point of view that it was a project that Bournemouth needed in a time when in the last few years we seem to have lost our way. The first eight games are very positive. The squad is looking very familiar and it's looking like we're rediscovering ourselves as a club, as a team and as a fan base. We know we've had special players in the past, but as a team, we didn't play collectively that well. We do have quality in this team, but what could really help us this season is as a unit, together, we could achieve success. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah, Bournemouth, deserving of all three points here, weren't they, Justin? And with them going top, you've got to ask the question, are they capable of staying there? It's a good question. It's a very, very good question. Um, I mean, they, they, they've worked hard to get to the top of the league. It's very early on in the season. They've set a very nice foundation for themselves. Have they got the squad depth to do it? I think potentially they, they do. Um, they haven't come up against um, Fulham yet, so that'll be that'll be an interesting game. And um, yeah, squad depth-wise, they've got the players to do it, the quality of players to do it. Like David Brooks hasn't really got going yet. Um, Dom Slank is on fire. They've still got players to return from injury, so... Yeah, I think I think it could be it could be one of those seasons, but long, long way to go yet. Mm. My instinct is Fulham and West Brom are better suited to taking those two top spots. Yeah, but they have shown cracks recently, haven't they? Which has made us and the rest of the Championship, I'm guessing, think maybe this might not be as cut and dry as we thought. And then if you're looking around to see who's next in line, then Bournemouth are right up there, aren't they? They've got a very good squad. I think everyone knows that. There was just little tweaks that needed to be done. And mm-hmm. they've got that now with Gary Cahill at the back, who has been classed, by the way, since coming in. Uh, ben Pearson's back in the team. And they've still got Lewis Cook to come back in as well, for <laughs> crying out loud. So the team's more than capable of being up there. It just needed the right man in charge. And if the last few games are anything to go by, then Scott, per- Scott Parker is certainly that man. Uh, but three losses from their last four league games now for Cardiff and from what I'm seeing the fans have turned or are turning on Mick McCarthy which is a massive shame after how Mm -hmm. they started the first few games I suppose in a way I can understand it because when you play the way Cardiff do it's not the most attractive and if it's not being effective in terms of getting results then it's not very enjoyable is it Justin? No, you're quite right. Um, looking at this game in particular, um, Cardiff are relatively blunt. I think James Collins had the, the best chance in the second half with a fairly wayward header. It's obvious they're missing something in that final third that, that makes it tick. You know, Harry Wilson, although he was relatively average last season, still posted some good numbers, yeah. did offer them a lot more in the final third, um, whether that be from set pieces or quality on the ball uh, in open play. Um, but yeah, Cardiff, they... I think they're slow starters actually I think all 11 goals that they scored have come in the second half which again it's it's you're just giving yourself a lot of work so you've, you, you've effectively got a 45 minute window in which to, to, to get ahead that's if you've not gone behind yourself so there's a lot that needs to improve upon um, at Cardiff no, no, no less scoring more and creating more chances 
Yeah, you're spot on. You are spot on. It is the final third thing, isn't it? And it's not even just Harry Wilson. They've lost Shea Ojo as well. Mm-hmm. That's the main concern for me, and it doesn't look to be getting any better anytime soon because they were fairly blunt here. It was that just that James Collins chance, which was the only real shy uh, sight of goal that they had, really. So, yeah, concerning times for Cardiff. Um have to wait and see whether they turn it around or not. There was another big shock which came in the Peterborough v Birmingham game. Peterborough, who have looked pretty hopeless recently, ran out 3-0 winners. Uh, where did this result come from, Justin? Yeah, it's um, one of the bizarre ones. Uh, I mean, if, if this result was going to go Peterborough's way, I'd have expected a 1-0 win perhaps in the 80th minute or something. But very, very convincing from Peterborough. And, and Birmingham didn't really offer too much. And I think it all whoa, went whoa, wrong whoa, in there. Whoa, 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 No, Justin, come on now. They missed some amazing chances. Yeah, but you've got to give Peterborough credit for, for yeah, yeah, the chances course, they created. Yeah. I'm giving them credit. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, what I'm saying is Birmingham missed some great chances. And to say they didn't offer anything just isn't true, really. I'm just trying to lay up the praise for, for Peterborough because I think it was a, a fairly complete display from them. I know teams are always going to get chances in games, but the way they, they controlled the game, especially after the second and third goal... Um, it allowed them to see the see the game out, and Bayer said himself, the players were tired, and I think that's a criticism for for Bayer for being for not really utilising the, the squad that he's got available to him. But yeah, and this is off the back of um, a Christy Pym falling out with Darren Ferguson in midweek as well. So there's a bit of upset in the dressing room in midweek. But yeah, a lot of a lot of um, credit and praise goes to Peterborough for for seeing the game out, and they've come up against the best division in well, one of the best defences in the division, and um, they've put three past them. Yeah, it's interesting what Bowie was saying about the players being tired because they haven't got the thickest of squads, have they, uh, Blues, compared to other teams in the top half of the table. So as the season goes on, that may very well catch up with them. Having said that, this game, they missed some glorious chances and that's been a bit of a theme with Birmingham so far this season. So it's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, But they could have definitely picked up more points if they managed to put games to bed but uh, nonetheless it was a fantastic win for Posh who badly needed this win Um, and it is worth mentioning two Birmingham supporters were arrested at this game after allegations of racist abuse towards Peterborough defender Nathan Thompson so Justin let's have a break after that we'll talk about a crazy game at Kenilworth Road and another surprise result at the Kion Prince Foundation Stadium Back to the second tier podcast. Have a little break so I can just have a coughing fit. Yeah. Um, Justin was very alarmed about what was going was, on. Actually. <laughs> he, he thought he might be becoming the full time host for the second tier. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. Let's get back to the action, Justin, from this weekend. And I don't think there was a better game in the championship this weekend than the one at Kenilworth Road, which was just crazy. Luton 3, Swansea 3. Luton were 3 0 up at half time, but Swansea got back into it and equalised in. The 91st minute. Uh, there was a lot to unpack, but we'll start with the highlight of the game, which was Henry Lansby booting Ryan Manning. I think just about everyone's seen the clip of this now. It's very funny. Uh, Declan on Twitter asks, how is it not a red for Luton? Yes, Manning shouldn't be playing silly games, but surely he can't do that. Yes, Lansbury only got a yellow for it. Has he got away with one, Justin? Um, I d- I'm a- yes, yes and no. On paper, I think it is a red, but I think the ref acknowledges the 
shithousery from Ryan Manning and goes, I'm not playing these games. I'm not playing these games. And I think a yellow card is probably right. I don't know. I would I'm really on the fence. disagree. I, I don't know how Lansbury hasn't been sent off here. When you really slow it down, and there's one angle in particular when you can actually see the ball, it looks to me like Lansbury is just not going for the ball at all and is basically aiming for Manning. Uh, that's how it looked to me. So if that is the case, then it's obviously got to be a red because you just can't do that. Um, especially well, at the time, Luton were lead. I think there was two goals up at the time. So yeah. it's such a weird thing to do at that point in the game and completely needless. Uh, um, so I think Lansbury <laughs> has been a very naughty boy here. Yeah, I mean, hang on a minute. What, what do you mean you can't kick an opponent off the ball? Why, why can't you volley him off uh, into the stands off the ball? Because that's assault, Justin. <laughs> these rules, not, my, so, not in my day. What, what are you saying? Do you not think it was a red card? I, th- I think the ref knows what Ryan Manning is doing and what he's trying to do. Um, and I think Lansbury... I mean, whether or not he's going for the ball, he only he will know. Um, I just think that the ref knows what what is going what, what's going on, and I think he acknowledges that by booking Landry rather than sending him off. Um, but you know, it's a good debate to have. It's uh, I, I can see why it would be a red card, um, but for me, I'd have given him a yellow as well if I was in Tony Harrington's position. It's a clear red for me every day of the week. But nonetheless, the game itself was a very extreme version of a game of two halves in which Luton were very good first half and Swansea were awful. Then it was the complete opposite in the second half. But we had some marvellous goals here. Luke Mm. Berry scored a very tasty bicycle kick for Luton. And then goal of the weekend for me, Olivier Encham with a missile into the top bins for Swansea. Why are you pulling that face? Because it took a deflection. It came off Mpanzu's back. Yeah, I, I, when I saw it first time, I thought, has that taken a deflection? But still, it's a lovely strike, Justin. It's a good strike. It's a, it's a solid strike. Um, but any goal that takes a deflection can't be goal of the weekend. Instantly can't be loses credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Can't be. But um, then you've got to have a go. Yeah, absolutely. Fair play to him. Um, it is worth mentioning this was another game where there was alleged racist abuse, this time directed towards Swansea defender Reese Williams. Bedfordshire police say they're launching a full investigation. Moving on, Bristol City also pulled off a surprise result. They won 2-1 away at QPR thanks to a 92nd minute winner from Naki Wells. I think one man deserves a lot of praise for this result. Dan Bentley in goal for the Robins had the game of his life. QPR had 26 shots which is quite remarkable. Lyndon Dykes missed two great chances, but just could not find the back of the net for love nor money. But uh, yeah, Dan Bentley, unbelievable performance from him, wasn't it? He's had to make 10 saves, um, which has to be one of the records so far in this season. It definitely is the most this season. Without looking, uh, yeah, I'd say it's got to be the most this season. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if anyone can top that. Um, as far as one-sided games go, yeah, this was pretty one-sided, especially in terms of chances. QPR will be kicking themselves that they weren't able to take them. And they'll be kicking themselves that they gave some goals away as well. Um, and as for Bristol City, this is a, a, a good win. It, it pushes them up to, to ninth in the table as well, which I don't think anybody would have predicted at, um, at the start of the season, even sort of midway through the season now, um, the, the the inconsistency Bristol City have had in their performances. Um does it merit ninth place? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, they do have to improve because they can't give away that many chances um, to opposition teams. Um, but I think 
yeah, big big three points, and and um, two players in particular, George Tanner and um, Masengo, were were really good in this game. Well, Alex on Twitter asks, Hanno and Masengo for the Ballon d'Or. Maybe is is he eligible for the Golden Boy, which is like the teenage Ballon d'Or, isn't it? Is he teenagers yeah, still? You- yeah, yeah, he's twenty-one, I think. Well, he's, he's not a teenager, is he? <laughs> no, no, you don't have to be a teenager for the European Golden Boy. I don't think. I mean, I don't no. really pay attention to that award at all. But I no. think it's just for under twenty-ones. But nonetheless, um, you, you're quite right in that Bristol City have done very well to get to ninth, especially considering they're banned from picking up points at home <laughs> for some bizarre reason. Uh, but Bristol City's winner that was tremendous, wasn't it? An incredible counter attack. First, the ball from Mandy Vyman was mm-hmm. absolutely pinpoint, and then Wells's touch and finish was just world class. Uh, so, a fantastic result for Bristol City. They're a bit of a bogey team for QPR. You'll be interested to know they've only managed to beat them once okay. in their last ten league meetings, which is uh, quite remarkable. But QPR mm. in general, now without winning three, they've got West Brom next weekend. So, uh, tricky times for Rangers who were absolutely flying at the start of the season weren't they speaking of the baggies they drew one all with Preston both teams had their fair share of chances Darnell Furlong's long throw proved profitable again for the Albion even though it was taken from completely the wrong place yeah again it's just a little bit of luck but I think the thing that will lurk West Brom fans is uh, the form in front of goal is they've missed a lot of chances again here and you don't want to keep relying on set pieces to bail you out I know it's another asset in the armoury for, for West Brom the long throws and the corners and, and, and free kicks and what have you but you want to be scoring more and creating more from open play and they just didn't really do that against Preston they missed some good chances Matt Phillips had a good one in the first half really good play as well um, and his volley should hit the back of the net um, but they've got the quality of players to do it it's just it's not quite happening for them in front of goal and it's been the same over the last three games so you know is plan A working will there be a plan B who knows but um, certainly needs to improve definitely and yeah the, the long throws continue to, to rain hell on opposition uh, teams yeah well West Brom fans very frustrated with this result and I'm seeing a lot of it directed towards Valerie and Ishmael for exactly the reason that you just mentioned that there doesn't seem to be a plan B because it is launch the ball into the box and eventually the ball will go into the goal but that's not been happening recently because it's three draws now isn't it mm-hmm. three draws against teams that they should be winning against if you look back at the uh, games that they've had so yeah I, I can understand why they're frustrated at the moment but I think possibly urging on the side of caution you know have a bit of patience for now because we all know Varelin Ishmael is a very good manager at this level. Yeah. They're also still unbeaten. One of only two teams to still not lose a game so far this season. So still loads of positives. Speaking of positives, really good result for Preston Montit, who looked good and have been a lot more solid in general recently, haven't they? After having a pretty shocking start to the season. But mm-hmm. now they're just ticking over quite nicely, aren't they? And that's that's what you want to do, especially after such a poor start from, from Preston's perspective. I think they found a good balance with the formation. Uh, I've mentioned that in previous episodes. Emil Reese jacobsen I think, deserves a lot of plaudits as well because he's being the number nine. Preston absolutely need his hold-up play for the for the goal, but, um, for example, was, was, was brilliant where he takes a touch with his back to goal, takes a touch inside, and he just eases it over to Whiteman. A little bit lucky with a deflection, but you take them all day. Um but yeah, confidence is high amongst uh, well throughout the throughout the whole team at, at the moment, which is absolutely brilliant considering that four-one defeat at the Hall on the opening day. You just you saw absolutely no hope at all. So credit to McAvoy, credit to the players, and um, yeah, Emil Rishi really really impressed with them. Spot on. 
Middlesbrough 1, Blackpool 2. Blackpool getting the win here through a very, very funny own goal from Grant Hall. It was very Ian Dowie, West Brom, West Ham versus Stockport-esque. It was a, a fantastic <laughs> own goal. More of that, please. Um, what was also very funny was Blackpool got a questionable free kick that Neil Warnock was absolutely livid about. And, of course, Blackpool then scored from it just to urge the intensity up a bit more. Uh, Athers on Twitter asks, do you think Blackpool have what it takes for a playoff push? He then adds a winky face at the end, so I think mm. it is in jest, but they're going well at the moment, aren't they, Blackpool? They are. They're, they're, there's a good theme running throughout the side uh, in the sense that they're, they're creating a lot more chances. Um, I mentioned it in midweek where they, they squandered a lot against Huddersfield, um, but they didn't do that here. Got a bit of look with the uh, Grant Hall and goal, but again, I mentioned it already with the previous teams. You, you take that sort of goal all day, especially away from home. Um, yeah, you get a bit of look as well with the, the free kick, but Blackpool... Have, have grown a resilience to, to, to other teams at the minute and um, they look like they're, they're settling in nicely to division I think with any League One team coming up to the Championship it takes a little bit of time to get settled um, and they haven't had the easiest of, 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 of uh, games either um, to start the season with so yeah definitely looking more positive really really pleased with the performance of late well, they've got Barnsley and Hull next, which are two games that Neil Critley will be looking at as two games that they should be getting three points from. So keep it going. Uh, there's a bit of discontent around the Riverside Stadium at the moment. Matt on Twitter says Borough fans are starting to worry. Warnock isn't working short term and it's time to start looking long term. What do you think about that, Justin? Do you know what? I'd agree. Um, I felt like the, the transfers uh, in the summer were... Not necessarily Warnock's. Uh, the first half of the window were very Warnock signings, like the likes of Ikpiatu, Matt Crooks, um, and then the likes of Piero. Um, I mean, Spora came in on loan, but signings like that, I think they were more looking at the long term. And again, Spora was a loan signing, but for me, um, I think possibly looking at a manager for the long term next not necessarily a bad thing to do because uh, I read a stat that Warnock's picked up as many points in 2021 as, as Wayne Rooney has for Derby County um, which is quite a, an alarming stat I know Derby have started the season pretty well but their, their form the second half of last season was dreadful couldn't buy a win couldn't buy a point um, so that tells you exactly how, how bad Borough's performances have been um, this year and has he got a lot of time left uh, at Borough remains to be seen Well Borough fans are saying he should go in the next international break. Are you saying that you think he should be going in, in, in the near future? I mean, you don't want to be in a position where Forest are, where they had an international break to make a decision. They didn't. And a week later, they, they then make that decision. Um, it just depends where Borough see themselves going. If they want a playoff push, then yeah, I think they do have to make that decision. But if they're happily just looking at a mid-table finish again this season because it was a bad season under Woodgate. It was a really bad season and they've had to transition out of it and Warnock's done that. Warnock's managed that transition so there should be some plaudits there. Um, but if they want to look for a playoff push then yeah, I would I would make that decision because the likes of Chris Wilder's available. He'd be a very good fit I think in this in this Borough side and there are a lot of good managers out there that, that, would, that would be interested in the Borough job. And the thing is as well, Neil Warnock's contract is only till the end of the season, isn't it? And it's hard to see him still being here next season. So yeah. if they do make the decision, then yeah, you're quite right, I suppose. Millwall 1, Coventry 1. Luke Spud on Twitter asks, how good is Victor Jokeres? I don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. Have you not been has listening he, recently? Has, has he listened? <laughs> you're not shut up about him, let's be honest. Oh, I mean, 
can you blame me? He scored yeah. again, Justin. He's getting That's a bit a silly again. now. He, he's out of control. He needs to be sectioned. I won't hear anything else. He's he's a man possessed at the moment. Uh, this game also had its own comedy section. Tom Bradshaw scoring for Millwall. Does the standard run to the corner flag, running past all the fans, sliding on his knees right in front of the linesman who's standing there with his flag up for offside. To be fair to him, that decision did look a bit dodgy. But uh, there oh. you go. Daniel on Twitter asks how... Uh, he asks, can Millwall finally break the championship draw record this season? And I tell you what, I'm convinced they are trying to do their best to do it because that's three in a row now. They've already got five this season, the most in the league. And it really is remarkable, isn't it, how a side can just draw as many games as they do. You don't want to be that side, though, do you? Um, I know there's a lot of Millwall fans who are getting pretty frustrated with Rowett because I think it was around the hour mark where... Um, Brower pretty much settled for a draw by bringing another midfielder on, which you should really he's going for do. the draw record. But do you want to be a Premier League side, or you, actually, yeah, I want the draw record. I yeah. badly want the draw record. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, it's looking unlikely that Millwall are going to be challenging for the top six. So you may as well go for the draw record. They're not going to get relegated, are they? Let's be honest. No, no. So if you're not planning on doing much this season, at least aim for something. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's let's do this. Let's let's start a campaign. Like really put really put effort into this one. Mill draw. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and so on and so on. <laughs> and finally, Barnsley nil, Blackburn nil. Clark Adore nearly scored goal of the season, but there was not much else in this game. Very few chances, but it was better than what we've seen recently from Barnsley. Justin, shall we do who knows wins? Go on then. Let's go. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we are reunited with our friends at Who Knows Wins, which is the app where you chuck in a few quid to enter a league and whoever correctly predicts the most results wins the pot in our Championship League this weekend. The win pot was £300 and it was won by Jar09 and XG Sports. They each got five correct results, which considering the games this weekend is rather impressive. Justin, you got three. I got two so-called Championship experts. Not good. To be fair, Not good. as you say, when the results have been as unpredictable as they have been, I, I don't think anyone was going to do too well. Uh, there were seven people who didn't get any right at all. So uh, there you go. How's that um, possible? Well, there you go. If you're new to this, who knows wins, ladies and gentlemen, now is your time to join because, get ready for this, the prize pot this coming weekend is a massive £1,200. Imagine getting that all just by predicting the most correct results from the 3pm games in the championship. Sounds easy, doesn't it? So make sure you download the app now and join our league. You can enter using the code SECOND. Let's give our predictions, Justin. We've got uh, nine 3pm games this Saturday. Uh, let me just get them up on my phone. Uh, so the first one is this. You've got Birmingham Preston. Which way are you going? I'm going to go draw. I will go Birmingham, Blackburn, Cardiff. Uh, Blackburn. I'm going to go Cardiff. I feel like they've got to turn the corner soon. Blackpool, mm. Barnsley. Ooh, 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 Blackpool. Hmm. I'm going to go Blackpool as well. Bournemouth, Luton. Bournemouth. Yeah, I'm going to go Bournemouth. You can't stop those cherries at the moment. Bristol City, Fulham. I'm going to go draw. I'm going to go Fulham just because Bristol City are so bad at home. Oh, God, Forest yeah. Forest Millwall. 
too late. You said it. Uh, <laughs> Forest, yeah, Forest, Forest. <laughs> draw, draw. It's got to be done. Sheffield United, Derby. Uh, I'm going to go Derby. I've been all the way. I'm going to go Sheffield United. Stoke Hall. Stoke. Stoke for me as well. And Swansea Huddersfield. Draw. I'm going to go Huddersfield. So that's Who Knows Wins. Download the app now and get involved. As always, please gamble responsibly. And when the fun stops, stop. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And speaking of when the fun stops, stop. Derby are entering administration. They're definitely getting a 12-point deduction. There's a good chance they'll get more because they still need to settle their differences with the EFL. So they potentially could end up with minus 21 points. In a statement, the club said identifying a buyer was unlikely in the short term and they had no choice to appoint creditors after COVID-19 had a severe impact on revenues. Kieran Maguire, a football finance expert from the Price of Football podcast, is joining us now. Kieran, how have things got to this point? We've ended up in this present position with regards to Derby County and going into administration because the owner, Mel Morris, who has only owned the club for a few years, he embarked when he took over on a policy of spending big money on uh, transfer fees. They spent £66 million in the first three years. The wage bill uh, trebled from around about 2015 to 2018. Um, so there's a lot more money going out and no more money coming in. So on the back of that, the club was losing money, couldn't pay its overheads. At times it was unable to even pay the wages. And uh, on the back of that, uh, Mel was subsidising the club. Eventually he got bored and decided he was going to do that no longer. Um, and therefore we're now in this very sorry position that uh, he's been treating Derby County Football Club as a an executive toy, has got bored of it and uh, has decided to put it into administration. So looking ahead to the long term, Kieran, what does this mean for the future of Derby County as a football club? What's going to happen now is that a firm of specialists is going to be appointed as the administrators of Derby and, and all the surrounding companies. And what the, they will do, first of all, is to try to work out a what do Derby County own because they need to they need to sell those assets. And secondly, how much do Derby own in terms of loans, money owed to Mel, money owed to the players, money owed to suppliers, money owed to the taxman and so on. So that's going to take a bit of time and they'll be gathering that information together. Um, They will be advertising the club for sale. And I think the biggest challenge they're going to have is who is going to fund the club during the period of time when it's in admin, when it is in administration, the wage bill has to be paid at the end of this month. Uh, Derby, I think, have already sold season tickets, so so that money has has gone to the the pre-administration uh, regime. And under normal circumstances, you'd be saying, well, what what can we sell? There's problems in terms of what they can sell because. Derby County no longer own Pride Park, and Pride Park is also subject to a mortgage from MSD Holdings. So it's very complicated. It's uh, uh, it's going to be squeaky bum time, uh, I I fear. Uh, People potentially are going to lose jobs. You've only got to look to see what happened at Wigan Athletic last year when that club went into administration, that uh, one of the first things that 
uh, the administrators did was a big headcount and uh, and cut back on staff. So staff are going to have a very unsettled few days. Um, players are going to be thinking, how can I get out of this? Um, the administrators are going to have a really tough job. This this is not an easy uh, administration. If you compare it to Wigan, where the, the club you know, owned the stadium, uh, didn't have significant outstanding debts um, and there were no mortgages as such, it, it was a lot easier to, to sell off bits and pieces. Um, the administrators here are really going to have their work cut out. Thank you, Kieran. Yeah, Justin, as a Derby fan, what was it like finding out about this news late on Friday night? Oh, I immediately went to the gin and the chocolate and just sunk my sorrows because it was absolutely gutting. Um, I, I, I'm not necessarily an emotional person, but I, I just found it hard to, to articulate how um, angry and frustrated I was. And um, you know, if I, if I put my neutral hat on, this this could be this could be any football club. You know, Derby are a big big club in the, in the Championship. Make no mistake about it. Um, but it, it could be your club. It, it is my club. Um, and as supporters, we can't let that happen. You know, it, it could be QPR. It could be Swansea. It could be Forest. Um, and as I say, as supporters, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't let that happen. And this situation should serve as a reminder and act as a driver uh, for supporters to get football governance reformed. Um, football boards need fan representation because of how Derby supporters have been treated by Mal Morris over the past 18 months to two years has been uh, a disgrace. The, I, I feel like the Wigan situation could have been avoided had there been better governance as well as fan representation on, on their board um, and we need to stop greed and egos um, infiltrating our, our sport because that is what is destroying football clubs yeah uh, well it's interesting that I saw reports uh, yesterday that Rooney apparently only found out about the news by watching it on TV which I think just sums up the cowardice around the whole situation, the statement that Mel Morris put out, or the Derby board put out rather, I should say, was pathetic. It was embarrassing, blaming everyone else, blaming COVID, blaming the EFL, in very subtle hints. Um, and that pretty much sums up the whole thing, really. They haven't taken any ownership of them being in this situation because it wasn't, you know, coronavirus that spent £80 million since 2015. It wasn't the AFL that said, yeah, let's spend, you know, 100 grand a week or however much it is on Rain Rooney's wages. It's just an absolute shambles. And now Derby are in an absolute state. I think relegation's pretty much confirmed, isn't it? Even if they don't get the added nine-point deduction because administrators are in now, players are going to leave in January. So... Yep. It's going to be a massive fire sell, isn't it? Tom Lawrence is bound to go. Sibley, Bird, Buchanan, any saleable asset is out the door. And Derby in the second half of the season will be a team made up of kids, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really sad. Derby are almost certainly going to be in League One next season. And depending on how the situation goes in the long term, then who knows where they'll go from that point. Could they even go down to League Two? Dare I say, maybe even further. Who knows? Because it's a really sad state of affairs at the moment, as Kieran was just saying then. As administrations go, this is a really tough administration. Um, and it's going to be tricky for 
them to find a buyer ultimately which is what every Derby fan is hoping they'll eventually see coming out of the club but I just can't necessarily see it happening anytime soon because they're in such a state and it's extremely sad that that is the case hopefully it does get addressed but I think there's going to be a lot of downs before there's any ups really um, Justin let's move on to the other side of the East Midlands because there are numerous reports indicating Steve Cooper is set to become the new manager at Forest. Now we've heard from Rich earlier on in the show about his thoughts on this from a Forest perspective. You, as a championship neutral, what are your thoughts on this, Justin? I, I really rate Steve Cooper as a manager. Um, I think you only have to listen to any of the episodes from last season as to how much I, I rate him, even when Swansea fans wanted him gone halfway through the season. Um, I think he's a very talented manager. I think he's he is what Forest needs. Um, he, he can work with the younger players that are there. He can get the best out of the players that are obviously older. Um, and, he, and he's shown at Swansea that he can work with certain constraints. Um, but his style of football is a little bit more conservative. It's not necessarily attacking. Um, will he improve that? I think he might because he's, I think he's got a deeper deeper squad and certainly the board's got deeper pockets than they did at Swansea. So I think it is a good appointment. But like we've said over the past few weeks... Forest needs to get everything in order upstairs um, before everyone starts criticising downstairs if results start, don't start to go uh, their way. Yeah, I think when you were looking at who was available, I think the two best options were Steve Cooper or Chris Wilder, for me. Two best realistic options, I should say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Steve Cooper was the best appointment they could have made. Um, but it doesn't... It, Forest fans who were... You know, annoyed with the style of play. I, I don't think that's going to get any better under Steve Cooper. I will say that, but he should at least take them in the right direction. Whether it's going to be um, as much of an improvement as some optimistic Forest fans are expecting, I'm not too sure. Because as we've been saying repeatedly, week on week on this podcast, Justin, there are problems at Forest, and it's deeper than the manager and the players. There's something going on behind the scenes. I was listening to Steve Stephen Reed, who was the caretaker manager for this weekend. I was listening to his press conference in the weekend. He was saying it's they don't really know why things aren't working out at the moment. And I think whether that's just him, you know, being cautious, um it, it, it's kind of like that. There, there is a problem yeah. at Forest, but it's hard to put your finger on what exactly what that problem is. Um so yeah, I, I'm not sure there's gonna be a drastic improvement, but hopefully there'll be an improvement nonetheless. Um, interestingly, Swansea are getting compensation for this because apparently he's still technically contracted to them, which I, I found mm. a bit odd, but uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Coventry say they're committed to building a new stadium. Speaking to the BBC, the owner, Joy Sapala, said we need to own a stadium so we can get revenue 365 days a year. Coventry have revealed plans to build a new ground, but it was all made a bit confusing where whether that was still going ahead or not because they've also agreed a 10-year deal to play at the Coventry Building Society Arena, previously known as the Rico Arena. So, yeah, interesting one there. And we were just speaking about Chris Wilder. He says he's looking for his next opportunity. Speaking to Sky Sports, he admits his next job will most likely be in the Championship, but says he's interested by the thought of managing in America. Uh, Chris Wilder, he's bound to come to the Championship, isn't he? I hope so. Don't go to America. I'm sorry, but the MLS isn't... I mean, it's it's improved, but it's not the championship, let's be honest. And Chris Wilder, 
Um, talking about Chris Wilder every week, he, he's, a, he's a quote machine, isn't he? And we've not had the chance to do that on this podcast because Sheffield United selfishly got promoted just before we started. Um, mm. So it would be, yeah, I think any team in this division, I mean, I mentioned Borough, you'd be a very good fit for Borough um, to want to leave. Um, so yeah, want to see him in the Championship. Please don't go to America. Um, please stay in the Championship, please. I think for whichever, mani- whichever manager loses his job next, the club who will have a vacancy, he is the top option, isn't he? Now that Steve Cooper's mm-hmm. looking like he's going to be off the table. Chris Wilder's a bloody good manager. He's yes. been, he, I think he's finished higher every season at whatever club he's been at for every season he's been at the club, apart from obviously that disastrous season with Sheffield United and I think one season with Northampton. So he's a man who makes teams better when he's there. So it only makes sense for him to be back in the championship soon. Um, let's do some polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter just to get them involved. So the first question that we asked them was this. Will Steve Cooper break the manager curse at Forest and last for the whole of 2022? Justin. Oh, if he can last until next October, I think he'd have broken the curse, potentially. So I think he could be the man, Mr. Garfield or Garfield's owner. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure, just because I would have said Chris Hewton would have been able to, <laughs> yeah, win, yeah. but obviously he couldn't. So I, I'm going to say no on this occasion. Uh, 65% of people said no, 35% said yes. Should Henry Lansbury have been sent off? Yes or no? No. Oh, he's he's. He's put his mark down. I am a firm yes. And 69% of people agree with me. 31% agree with Justin. And finally, is it acceptable to leave games early? Yes or no? No. My dad absolutely vilifies me if I want to go early. I don't get it. I don't know why. Every time you're at a game, there's always people who leave as soon as it gets to 85 minutes, aren't there? I just don't understand it. That's the best bit of the game. The final few minutes of the game is the best bit. It's like having a cake, but just eating the sponge and leaving the icing. What are you doing? Anyway, uh, 68% of people said, no, it's not acceptable to leave games early. 32% said yes, which is frustratingly in the wrong way. Uh, No, that doesn't make sense. I I was expecting it to be more not. It's it's too high. It's too high a number. Too too many people leave the game early. You create traffic after the game. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. If you're trying to catch a train and it's an away day, I can, can, kind of ought to understand it, but otherwise there's no excuse, really. Uh, right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Joel Robinson from the To Holland Back podcast. We did have Rich with us, but his internet has blown up, so... It's just going to be you two, I'm afraid, tackling Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight this week. And I'm afraid to say it is very, very tricky. Um, But give it your best shot. That's all that matters. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name eight of Darren Bent's clubs and Rich would say Spurs, that's one down. And Joel would say Sunderland, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So Derby have gone into administration 
and have got a 12-point deduction. They're the eighth team to get a points deduction in the championship since 2007. Can you name the remaining teams? Derby is one, so you've got seven left. Um, This is hard, I'm sorry to say, but have a go. Just see how you do. Uh, We'll start with you, Joel. Can you name me a team that's had a points deduction in the championship since 2007? I want to say Birmingham. You are absolutely right. They had nine points taken away for breaching profitability and sustainability rules. Um, Whatever that means. Justin, your go. I I have to say as well, this is not a uh, a joyful uh, segment, is it? It's quite a a macabre... uh... Macar question, but I'm going to shoot with uh, Sheffield Wednesday. That's an easy one. Yep, they got a six point deduction for selling their stadium last season. Uh, Joel, back to you. Uh, Wigan. Yeah, they had a 12 point deduction for going into administration and were relegated a couple of seasons ago. So you got three so far. You're going all right, but now you're getting to the tricky ones. Justin. So 2007, I think Leeds. Um, Leeds, it was that whole Ken Bates thing, wasn't it? They 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 went into administration sort of on the final day to try and be a bit cheeky. Didn't quite work out for them. No, you're absolutely right. They were relegated in 2007 with a 10-point deduction. Joel, back to you. I want to say Bolton Wanderers. Unfortunately, you're wrong. That is... <sighs> yeah, I, I tell you what... I'm a yeah, if, I think it was in League One, but it, you're on the right lines of just naming teams who have had lots of financial problems in recent times. Uh, so Joel's out, Justin. It means you're the last man standing. You have got four to go. And to be fair, if I was going to guess, actually, you got three to go. Sorry. If I was going to guess which three you had left, I think it would have been these three. Uh, Christ. Um, did think, Portsmouth. Think, yeah, I was going to say. Think teams who have had really bad financial troubles in recent times. And you're absolutely right. Portsmouth, the only team to go into administration while in the Premier League and also went into administration in the Championship in 2013. So, yes, that's right. You've got two left. The other one, they're the only team who who managed to stay up, aren't they? It's Crystal Palace. Absolutely right. They got a 10-point deduction in 2010. Didn't get relegated, though. Uh, they also had a one-point deduction for fielding an ineligible, ineligible player. Easy for me to say. Uh, quite some time ago as well. Uh, final one then, Justin. I'll be surprised if you get this. It's, it's tricky. Um, i tell you what, because I don't think you're going to get it. It's for... They were also docked three points for fielding an ineligible... I can't say this word. Ineligible. An ineligible player. And it was in 2014-15... Uh, Rotherham. Yes, you're right. Really? There you go. <laughs> would you have got that without my clue? Um, I, I would have lent towards uh, possibly Luton, but I know they weren't in the championship. I know, and yeah, I would have lent towards Luton. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They got the deduction in League One. Uh, Southampton were another one, which I thought you might say, because they also got the points deduction the following season, despite going into administration while in the championship. Very confusing. But well done, boys. Despite all the odds and a couple of clues along the way, you managed to conquer Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Joel, how do you feel? Oh, it's an honour. <laughs> it's an honour to win such a prestigious award. <laughs> Isn't it just? Uh, Justin, how do you feel? Yeah, the uh, the despair of administration has gone away. It's, yeah, buzzing. I'm glad your weekend has ended on a high. I think man of the match was definitely Rich. He really contributed to the team here. <laughs> uh, well, this has been 
the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday for a preview of next weekend's games. Hopefully, it's another lively weekend, just like this one. Uh, in the meantime, Joel Robinson from the Two Hull and Back Podcast. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Rich Ferraro from 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Thank you for your time today, even though you're not here to hear me say thank you. Uh, otherwise, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. Happy to Peach. Thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.